Whether you operate one forklift or thousands, one location or hundreds, the new My Toyota customer portal can help you optimize your operation and material handling equipment. This one-stop, free-to-use platform is designed to help you take control of your information and make smarter decisions, all at the touch of a button. Register and access your data today at my.toyotaforklift.com. That's my.toyotaforklift.com. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hey, it's Kevin Lawton with the New Warehouse Podcast, bringing you a new episode today. And on today's episode, I am joined by Young Su Chung. He is the founder and CEO at First Class Founders, but he also has a couple different businesses that he has started over the years and that interestingly led him to starting a, a 3PL fulfillment business as well. And he has a couple different e-commerce brands, which led to that. And we're going to dive into that story a little bit today and, and here's some of the intricacies of how that kind of developed and how he ended up where he is today. I think it's a really interesting story with some interesting kind of <laughs> twists and turns. So Young Sue, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. I appreciate it, man. Definitely. Happy to have you on. I've been uh, watching you on uh, Twitter, uh, X or Twitter, I guess, whatever you want to call it these days. And, you know, I was surprised, like, when I saw you tweet something about having a, a 3PL in addition to your all the other things you're doing. So I was very intrigued and, and very interested to, to get you on the show here. So I guess for people maybe that are not familiar with you, haven't followed you yet, you should follow him, I will say. Tell us a little bit about your, your background and kind of what you're all about. Yeah. So in a nutshell, I have three businesses right now. I guess a fourth one, if you count my podcast, First Class Founders and my okay. newsletter yeah. as a business, which I guess, you know, it's starting to get some sponsorship revenue. So, um, but three, three main ones that I've built over the last eight years. The first business uh, is called Urban EDC and it's an e-commerce shop selling pocket knives, flashlights, multi-tools, bottle openers. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. The second business my wife and I started was around our, our French bulldog who gained a, yeah. a big following on Instagram. <laughs> and so he's at Spotted Humphrey on Instagram and he's, he's a really funny and uh, awesome little dude. And yeah, he, he, once we got an, uh, an audience for him, we decided to launch a second e-commerce brand called Spotted by Humphrey named mm -hmm. after him. And so, yeah, so those, those two commerce shops and then also have the 3PL, like you mentioned, which kind of honestly kind of was born naturally out of our own frustrations in the 3PL space at the mm -hmm. time. And yeah, we've, we've grown that. We moved to a 39,000 square foot warehouse near where I am now, which is in, in San Francisco. And so, yeah, that's been, you know, a fun journey. Uh, obviously, a lot of unexpected ups and downs and surprises, but that kind of comes with the course of building your own business. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, what I've, in a nutshell, like what I do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's it's very interesting. I mean, I listened to uh, your podcast and I, I heard the the story, kind of the whole story about how you ended up where you are now. And it's, it's a lot of different twists and turns. It's pretty interesting. But I'm curious, why don't you tell us a little bit about, because I, I think a lot of times too, within the you know 3PL and, and fulfillment space, we talk about finding a niche and really that's like as you're uh, a smaller or, or boutique type 3PL, like that's the way to kind of win and, and be able to, to gather that kind of market share. But you did something pretty interesting with how you found your niche initially with the urban EDC from what I heard on the podcast. So, I, I mean, tell us a little bit about how you landed on that and maybe tell us too, because I was not familiar with this uh, EDC uh, community. I thought that was, uh, to be honest, when I first heard EDC, I was like, oh, I think that's something to do with like electronic music, maybe. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. But how did you find like that, that niche to, to, to be within that? Yeah. So there is a, a show in Vegas called Electric Daisy Carnival, which is probably yeah, what we're right. thinking about. Yeah. Um, and actually I've, I've been to it. So I, mm. I actually know about it, but the everyday carry community is, is quite strong and it's, it's a niche community, but there's all these shows that happen during the, during the year and people kind of, they, they meet up and, you know, it's kind of funny because you recognize people from, you know, they're mostly on Instagram, but mm. you see them in real life and you, you know, you kind of bond with them and stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very passionate community and a lot of them are like collectors. And so it's really not even about the products themselves. Obviously the products are what people are looking for, but then it's really about, you know, the, the connections and, and, and kind of the, I guess the interactions you have with the, the makers directly. And so these makers yeah. will you know, they'll make like 10 to 15 things of one item and, and, and it'll sell out really fast. And so it's kind of like this gear drop model where every week we drop, you know, new inventory and it'll sell out really quickly and, you know, things like that. So yeah, in terms of the niche, you know, I, I, I just, I was just interested in it. You know, I, I was working in corporate at a cryptocurrency company in 2014 and, yeah. and I, I really felt like, you know, this was an area that I, was interested in like flashlights you know what's funny is i was not into pocket knives at the time but i eventually mm. got into it and now i appreciate it for the design as aspects of it which is like there's so many little details that, that goes into designing a pocket knife so so yeah i mean that was kind of how i chose it because i i realized that i was interested in it and i wanted to do something that wouldn't require like a lot of a big team, for example, like, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to raise VC money. I want to do something that was manageable just on my own. And so that's why I thought, you know, using a no code tool like Shopify, I could spin up a site really fast and then just be able to launch it. Right. So yeah, yeah that was like the first real endeavor that I, that I went into. Interesting. And then, so you were able to, to build that out and, and you talked about, you, you just said you leveraged Shopify to be able to, to build that store. Yeah. And, and obviously you've, you've grown it several years later now and you, and you still have it. So obviously you had some success there, but tell us a little bit about kind of the, the beginning stages there when I guess orders started to roll in and you had to figure out how to ship these and, and start to do that fulfillment. I, I imagine in the beginning, you're probably shipping yourself and, and tell us a little bit about kind of that fulfillment journey and, and figuring that out, especially because it sounds like based on your, your background and, you know, working for a cryptocurrency company, it didn't sound like you had much experience maybe with shipping in that sense, right? 
Yeah, you know what's funny is I I went with a three PL right from the start because I thought oh, you know I needed a three PL to, to to scale because I didn't mm-hmm. want to be the ones doing the packaging uh, all that. So I did a ton of research, and this is back in 2015. So the landscape of three PL was very different back then. But you know I did a lot of research, and I found what I had thought was the best three PL. They had the best ratings, mm. and it was just you know they were local, so I could drive you know, down to South San Francisco where they had a warehouse and yeah, it was a really sweet setup, I thought. And so I went with the 3PL, but then soon what I realized was that the 3PL industry is very, I guess back then it was, the standard was so low. Like for Mm. example, like there was no, I couldn't reach anyone at the warehouse when I called them, like the mailbox, voicemail box be full. Yeah. Um, And um (laughs) You know, there'll be, there'll be a lot of lost items. And actually one time, one of my customers got a package. When he opened the box, it was an empty box. And so wow. what had happened was the person shipping my, the, the order for that day, it was his last day at work at that 3PL. And he pocketed the item and then shipped an empty box to my customer. Uh-huh. And so that, that was kind of like the last straw. I was like, all right, like I got to, do something here. And so decided to bring fulfillment in house. And so just started off, you know, just, just us. And then we were fortunate enough to get a French bulldog. And, you know, we, we basically launched the second <laughs> shop and we just said, okay, well, you know what? Like we already have a, you, you know, a little space for our fulfillment. Let's just mm-hmm. add these products in. Cause if you think about it, like we did the same thing that we did with Urban EDC for Spotify Humphrey, which is, you know, the website's obviously different, audience is different, but the, the mm. behind the scenes back end is all the same, right? So yeah. we're like, all right, so we have two shops now. I guess it's like our fulfillment house has two internal brands. But then, you know, we were working out of this really unique, it was all it was a storage facility. And the storage facility, you can rent out, you know, these little units but but mm. people were working out of them so there were a lot of like small e-commerce brands that were just getting started who needed warehouse space it was almost like a, a we work oh, yeah. but for warehousing space and so we you know just started talking to a lot of brands that were also in the building and yeah there were there were a lot of companies that were also looking for a solution to this because it was not you know the, the 3pl landscape back then was quite lacking and so mm. We just started shipping for a few of them because they were like, Hey, like, looks like you guys are already doing it. Like, can you guys help us with fulfillment? And so that's how we got our first clients. We didn't even have a website. We didn't even have a name, uh, for the 3PL at the time, but we were mm. making money from other people's, you know, they, they want help. So in 2019 is when we decided to make it official. So Gr- growth jet is the name of the, the 3PL that we yeah. launched and it's been fun ever since hmm. very interesting and i i think it's interesting to hear that because i've heard similar stories from other 3pls too where they started as uh e-commerce brands and then you know they had a, a poor experience with the 3pl and decided like hey like we're gonna do this ourselves because we want to take care of our customers we want to make sure it's done right and then much you know similar to you it gets some word of mouth and other people are you know interested as well so i mean as you made 
that transition, talk to us a little bit about what were some of those maybe core pillars of what you wanted to provide from a service level and what was very important for you foundationally as you started to to work with other brands outside of your own? Yeah. So the first thing I realized was actually there's a lot of waste in the industry, mm. a lot of trash. And in a way, it's inevitable, right? Because you have all the pallet wraps and, and everything yeah. that comes with it. But I thought that we could make a stand there. And so we we actually became climate neutral certified, which meant that we offset all of our carbon footprint. Mm. And that was, and I, I believe we're actually the first 3PL in the world to become climate neutral certified. Really and that was a stand. Yeah. And that was a, a value that kind of hit home with a lot of brands. And so a lot of the brands that we, it became like a, almost like an advantage because people were like, mm. oh, this is amazing. This 3PL cares about you know other things aside from the bottom line and so the clients that we attracted were like you know they were not like i mean it worked out because they were you know not like trying to i guess like get the best deal i mean obviously we you know we made it work with them but like the clients that we were attracting were like more sophisticated brands that had a little bit more of a you know they were not commoditized they they had a little more brand equity so mm. they could charge a little bit extra. And so, yeah, we were a boutique 3PL. So we, we were not, we're trying not to compete with the lower lowest prices. Like we don't want to be, you know, competing for the cheapest because, you know, we always try to say, Hey, we are a boutique full service 3PL that essentially like the highest quality and the highest level of service. Cause that's what I felt the pain that I felt when I was, you know, when I was uh, using another 3PL was the service was just, just non-existent. And so, yeah, we kind of differentiated ourselves with the climate neutral angle along with the high level of service, the high touch points. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we doubled down on. So instead of focusing on like the price, you know, we, we focused on the experience. And so mm-hmm. what we always say is like, listen, you can get the cheapest prices, but you know, if you have a, a, an experience that's like, you know, if you want to like change up an order or like whatever it is, but like you're going to, the cost will come out in other ways. And so like what we try to try to do is like get them to see that like, yes, we might be a little bit more expensive, mm-hmm. but like that, the service that you'll get because of that will be way, like way worth more than, than, you know, the amount of headaches and like the customer inquiries that you're going to get right mm-hmm. from from a lower price 3PL. So that's kind of what the, the way that we angled it and so we were able to attract brands that are not like you know trying to like negotiate down to every little penny, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's such a such an important thing because you know, oftentimes, and I, I've talked to a couple of people who, you know, from both sides and, you know, they've had those experiences where, you know, they went for the lowest option and they were very unhappy and they had bad experiences. Like you had bad experiences. And then, you know, they, they decided to go with another 3PL that was a little more expensive and a lot of those headaches went away. Right. So, I mean, it, it's very tough. I think sometimes you have to, learn your lesson a little bit in a way to be able to, to understand and see that like, Hey, there's, there's more 
in this than just like that price tag that I'm seeing like right there, right? Like if you like your inventory is starting to get stolen by the employees, like in your example, you know, there's that additional cost to, to figure out what's going on. And right. then you're, there's an additional cost of customer dissatisfaction overall, right? And, and potential lost sales and potential lost customers. So it's very important to understand that. I'm curious from that perspective, I mean, do you often come across brands where, you know, they engage with you to maybe potentially utilize your services, but then ultimately you realize like, hey, like you're just not the right fit for us. And, and how do you kind of navigate that? We'll be back after a quick break. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, there's there have been many cases where, you know, we would start talking to a brand and we we find out that they're not the right fit. And we, we just tell them, hey, I don't think it's the right fit. And so a lot of times, you know, the way we assess that, it's a little bit of an art rather than a science, but you kind of get a sense of it when you first talk to them about, you know, when we're pitching our services and they're coming back and they're asking questions. And so a couple of examples that I that come to mind are like, you know, one brand was really, you know, they were really interested and they were like constant, you know, asking us a ton of questions. And they were great questions, but they were so like, it was so detailed and my, like it was i don't know it almost seemed like we were we were doing all this stuff to get all this information and it's it's mm-hmm. like it was almost like we gave them one answer and they come back with five questions mm-hmm. we gave them you know what i mean like yeah. the questions were multiplying <laughs> and like we would do all this back and forth i mean we spent hours answering their like the most like out of left field questions but then you know we found out that like last you know, last minute, they'll be like, oh, actually, like, you know, we we decided thanks for all your time. But like, I don't think it's the right fit. Like they didn't gave us like no explanation. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the, they came back to us later and was like, hey, actually, we're in the market for for a 3PL again. Can you guys like because <laughs> uh, I help guess us answer these questions. whoever they picked instead, like they had a bad experience, probably. Right. Yeah, probably. And so <laughs> and then we were like, well, OK. And so we like we, we like went down the path again. But then it was the same thing where they were asking, a t- like, it was just no end, right? And so at some point, we're like, all right, I don't, th- I don't think this is a good fit for us. Mm. And so we said no. There were other times when we would be explaining, like, why our prices are a little bit higher. Mm. And, and, and they, but then they just would, could not understand the value of having a better experience. Like, mm. To be honest with you, I think the the most I, the the best clients for us are ones that have experienced the other end of the spectrum, where it's like really cheap <laughs> prices, and yeah. they've experienced the nightmare, and then they're like, "All right, clearly this is not what we need," and you almost need to experience the the pain first to realize yeah. that it's not all about pick and pack prices because 
literally everyone is like, what's your pick and pack prices? And it's like, that's, you know, that's not, that's like going to a, a restaurant and like asking, you know, uh, how much did you pay for the, the groceries that yeah. week? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's very interesting because uh, there is like, like I was just talking to a, a brand over the last week and and they were talking about how they had a, they said it was a, a trauma experience with a 3PL. So, I mean, I, I think it's, it, it's, it sucks. I think that in the industry, like there's poor operators that are, you know, giving these bad experiences to brands and it's, you know, it's in turn, it's, it's impacting those brands negatively as well. But I, I think, like you said, I mean, I think a lot of times it is like, you have to go through that painful experience in order to, to be able to, to realize like, Hey, the value in having like a, a good partner and not just somebody that's, that's just providing a service for, for the lowest cost. So, so yeah, so definitely, I think you have to live through that pain sometimes as the the brand owner and to be able to, to experience that and, and understand that. And I think it kind of, it goes back to, especially like I think about some of my days as a warehouse manager too, and understanding like total cost of, of ownership versus, you know, just the, the price tag around that. And I think it's, it's great that you're able to focus on that service level because I think it's so important within the industry and, and for a lot of like e-commerce brands, I mean, it, you have to treat from a 3PL perspective, you have to treat their customers like they're your customers in order to be able right. to give them that great experience. So one of the things, I mean, I think as you've built this up and, and certainly you're a lot of your, I would say at least of a lot of the online presence that I see from you on uh, X or, or Twitter is, you know, talking about having this personal holding company and putting operators, managers in, in place to be able to, to run these businesses for you. So I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of that, that mindset and, and specifically mm -hmm. around being able to, to delegate, because I think even if, you know, I have some people that listen that are warehouse supervisors or warehouse managers working for other companies, a lot of times it's, it's difficult to be able to to delegate certain tasks or, or at least get your mind around delegating those tasks and, and I guess letting go control a little bit sometimes. So tell us a little bit about how you were able to start to do that. Cause I did hear in your podcast at one point that you guys got busy and you were out there picking and packing orders too with everybody else. So tell us a little bit about how, how were you able to, I guess, first wrap your mind around the idea of like letting go of some control and then, you know, feeling comfortable and, and making sure things were in place to be able to do that. Yeah. So this is, this is, you know, a really important piece that I see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, make this mistake, which is like, you, you're essentially a control freak and you can't, yeah. you can't be that way if you want to grow your business. And so the way that I like to look at this is like, yes, you can be a hundred percent on everything that you do, but then, you know, get to a much smaller stage of your business. Right. But then if you are 80%, and you have someone and you empower your team to get to get you a lot further, then that's way better than, you know, having 100% of a smaller pie versus 80% of a larger pie. Right. And so it's a really big shift in, in mindset. But the way I like to look at it is, 
It's kind of like instead of being the operator yourself, you want to become a, a capital allocator. And so what I mean by that is like you want to look at your, I guess, your expenses, right? And so, so you have income coming in and then like your expenses. But then you want to be the one kind of allocating capital instead of being the one that's like in the business, right? And so when I made that shift from being the operator versus allocating capital within the business, that's really when it shifted for me. And so that's a really critical thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs make, you know, mistake that they make. And yeah, I mean, honestly, like the delegation is, is something that's really changed my business. And it's not just about tasks. So a lot of people just think that, oh, it's like, you know, I'm doing this task, but then now I can delegate it to, I don't know, like someone else, like a virtual assistant or whatever. But yeah. it's actually a lot more than that. You need to delegate you know, your, your ideas, your decision-making, essentially they, you, you want them to think like live your values. Mm. And so they can literally decide for you. And that decision is the one that you would have made yourself. And I know that's not easy and it yeah. takes a lot of time to build that trust, but when it happens, and of course, you know, mistakes will be made like that is for sure. And it will be costly. Like you will probably lose money because you're trying to train up, you know, someone else to take reins mm -hmm. and then kind of like do all this stuff. Like there will be mistakes, but that's part of the learning. It's kind of like you're investing your resources into helping you free yourself from the business so that you can work on other bigger tasks, you know? So, yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it, it took me a while to understand that too. But I, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, they get stuck in this cycle of, of you know, I want my business to run the way I want it to be. And so they never grow out of being a really small business instead of like being able to to grow out into a much larger thing, right? So mm. yeah, that's that's definitely an important component that I that I see. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's such a such a great way to put it, right? Because if you get kind of stuck in and uh, lost in, I guess in the the weeds, so to speak, you know, it's hard to like see, see above them and, and see, you know, the, the future and, and how to, to get that growth going. And I, I think it's really interesting too, that you pointed out, you know, not only delegating like tasks, but also the kind of decision-making idea generating types of things that are, are core values to you. And, and how do you get those transferred over to somebody? So around that sort of mindset, I mean, how do you, I guess, uh, like if we think about, I guess you have a, a warehouse manager that's that's running the, the 3PL that's working there or, yeah. or somebody doing day-to-day -day stuff. I mean, what did you look for and, and what would you say are like good qualities or qualifications for that type of person to have to be able to not only take on the tasks, but also, like you said, be able to to think like you would and make the decisions that you would. Yeah, so th this is actually not an easy thing to do. And so yeah. really there's two ways of finding an operator that I, that I see. One is essentially hiring someone and then training them up into that role. And this is going to take a lot longer. So this is the downside of this method, which is like you know, you're going to have someone who's going to be in the wings for a long time and you you're constantly testing like, you know, I have a I had a bunch of employees that I that I was constantly assessing like can this person handle the general manager job and I'm constantly assessing it. And, and so that's one method. The second method is you can hire from externally. So you can hire someone with, with more experience 
and bring them in and and they theoretically should be a lot more qualified and, and less training than someone that you train up from from kind of i guess like homegrown talent in, in a way mm. there's pros and cons to both like if you hire someone from the external then the people within the company they're going to be like oh I, i've worked for you for five years like i don't even get a shot at this yeah. it's like so there's a lot of like politics involved in stuff too which which i'm you know i i i I'm not a big politics person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's hard to, hard to say which method is, is correct. But I would say like the way that I found my operator for, for growth jet, you know, I hired someone externally and he wasn't like top level. He wasn't a, a general manager level, but he was more like, you know, an operations person. And then mm. I could quickly see that he was very talented. And so he he rose rose through the ranks really quickly. But to be honest with you, like that alienated a lot of my team. And so like some people felt really hurt by that, and and they became political. They you know they felt threatened by him. And so it was like a weird phase where eventually like you know he rose through the ranks, and now he's my general manager, and he's the best one that I've had. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was worth it. But it, at the same time, like I I did lose a lot of you know people that were kind of in the wings a little bit and they were, they were hoping that they would get the chance. And, you know, to be honest, I, I did, I'm constantly assessing talent. And so in a way I did give them chances, but I, I just felt like they weren't quite there. Whereas this guy, I felt, you know, he, he's, he's really solid. And so, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do, but I guess from, from my side, I'm always assessing different talent. And so whether or not I break someone from the external or I'm evaluating people internally. I'm always seeing who who the best one, you know, best person for the job is, and and trying to challenge them and elevate them to to a new role. And I'm doing this constantly, right? So uh, yeah, it's like a, it's more of a more of an art than a science. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, and because I, I think it is something that's like you said. I mean, it's challenging to be able to to figure out who is the right person. And like you said, you know, it's, it's a balance of, you know, do we go internal? Do we go external? And, you know, it's hard, I think internally, especially in kind of a, a warehouse fulfillment setting setting too, where, you know, maybe I think a lot of times the, the mind goes to, Oh, this person is the, the fastest uh, picker, the fastest packer. So, you know, they should get elevated. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean they have those, those leadership skills. Right. Uh, right. So I think it's interesting how you kind of go about that and how you said you're continuously assessing, which I think makes a lot of sense. And it's really interesting to, to hear about how you kind of weave through all of this and, and kind of made this happen to where you are now. And I really appreciate you giving all these insights and, and coming on the show and, and talking to us about your, your different businesses and, and the 3PL especially and, and how that came about and how you've put such a focus on the the service level because of your bad experience, uh, <laughs> bad customer experience, right? And it makes sense to be able yeah. to do that. I'm happy we could share that story today on the podcast with our audience and, and learn a little bit more from you as well. So if people are interested in, in getting in touch with you, learning more from you, I know you have a couple of different ways to do that. I think you have a podcast, yeah. a newsletter, big on X and, and Twitter. And I think I saw you pop up on LinkedIn too recently as well. So tell us a little bit about what's the best way to connect with you and, and learn more from you. Yeah. So I publish a lot of content. I have a podcast called First Class Founders. 
And so that's also the newsletter. So if you go to firstclassfounders.com, you'll see the latest episodes and all that. Uh, I'm pretty active on X slash Twitter at Yong Su Chung. That's Y-O-N-G-S-O-O-C-H-U-N-G. And then if you're curious to learn more about my 3PL, it's GrowthJet. So G-R-O-W-T-H-J-E-T dot com. All right. Awesome. And we will definitely put all that information at the com as well so people can easily find it. So Young Sue, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us. Always great to hear these stories and, and learn from people that are out there in the field doing the, doing the thing and, and learning from uh, doing those things. So really appreciate your time on the show. Thank you once again. You've been listening to the New Warehouse Podcast with Kevin Lawton. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from the New Warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for The New Warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.